Pray with me. Oh, Father, that is our humble confession that we need you every moment of each day. With every breath in our lungs, we need you because you alone are holy and good and faithful and true. And Father, we need you now. We need you to send your Holy Spirit so that you will speak to us through the preaching of your word, so that you will cause our hearts to focus on Christ, so that we can lay aside every weight that clings so closely and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Be with us now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. This morning we are in Luke chapter 9. Uh, So if you have your copy of God's Word, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We'll be beginning in verse 51. We've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke this spring, and today we come to a huge transition in the book. We come to a different section. From Luke 4.14 through 9.50, Jesus has been ministering in Galilee, and beginning in our passage today, we start the next large section in the Gospel of Luke, which begins in 951, which is our passage today, and ends in 1927. And the theme of this section is Jesus' focus to go to Jerusalem. At this point in the Gospel of Luke, it's time for Jesus to set his focus on Jerusalem so that he can accomplish salvation for sinners. So keep this in mind as we look at our passage together. Luke 9, beginning in 51, I'm going to read all the way to the end of the chapter in 62. When the days drew near for him, that is Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is God's holy word that cannot and does not fail. One of the most amazing feats that I've ever seen was when I was in college track. We had a young lady on our team 
who was a freshman, and she competed at nationals in the marathon. Now, just if you don't know what a marathon is, it's 26.2 miles. It's really, really long. She qualified for this event by posting a good time in the half marathon. And by the time it came for her to race at nationals in the marathon, she had never run a marathon before in her entire life. So just imagine running a marathon for the first time as a freshman competing against the best in the nation. For over three hours, she ran hard. She was determined not only to just finish the race, but to finish it well. She kept going way past the point of being uncomfortable. She ran with urgency. While she was running, there was nothing else that mattered to her during that race. She was completely focused on the race. And competing against the whole nation, she got ninth place, which is absolutely incredible. But what was absolutely astonishing to me was her determination and her focus on finishing the race well. I think we can translate that to our lives. In the race of life, what are you determined to do? Or to say it in another way, in the race of life, what are you focused on? Now, we believe that we should be focused on Jesus, but it's really easy for distractions to come in and take our focus off of Jesus. Big things like thinking about retirement or our jobs or finishing the semester or our kids or even going to the lake. But there also can be small things like thinking about the NFL draft or what we're going to have for lunch today. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not a bad thing to be thinking about these things. I would encourage you to eat lunch today. If you're in school, I would encourage you to do your homework, especially right now at crunch time. But my point is that if we are focusing on Jesus, it changes the way that we view these things. For example, if we're focusing on Jesus, it might change who we have lunch with today. It might change the way that we view retirement. If we're focusing on Jesus, it might change the way we view going to the lake this summer. So this morning, my main goal is just to remind you to focus on Jesus. And I believe that this passage gives us two reasons why we should focus on Jesus. So first, focus on Jesus who was focused on his mission which is coming from verses 51 through 56. And second, focus on Jesus who calls us to follow him, which is coming from verses 57 through 62. So first point this morning, focus on Jesus who is focused on his mission. Again, this is coming from verses 51 through 56. So our passage today begins in verse 51, and it says, When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. As I said earlier, there's a shift in focus here. It's almost time for Jesus to be taken up. Now, this word for taken up 
is the only time that it's used in the whole Bible. So congratulations us. We get to look at a new word. The word could mean death or it could mean ascension. But almost every dictionary and translation and commentary that I looked at said that it means Jesus' ascension into heaven and who am I to disagree with all of them. But the ascension of Jesus is an important part of the gospel that often gets overlooked. The ascension takes place 40 days after the resurrection, and it's when Jesus was taken up into heaven. And when Jesus was taken up into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And for him to sit down means that his work of accomplishing redemption has been completed, and that Jesus is back at his rightful place, ruling and reigning over all things as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as king, he has sent his Holy Spirit to save, sanctify, and send his people. And so all that to say, at this point in the Gospel of Luke, the time for Jesus to be reigned, to be glorified in his ascension is getting close. And so the passage tells us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. This means that Jesus was determined to make it to Jerusalem to complete the work of redemption. He is focused on his mission of finishing the work of salvation, just like my teammate was focused on running the marathon. And at this point in the storyline, Jesus is in the last mile of his race. And I want to make it clear that Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is a Holy Spirit-empowered focus and determination. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. But why? He knew what was before him. He knew about the agony. He knew about the sweat that would become like drops of blood. He knew about the crown of thorns. He knew about the mockery. He knew what it would take to accomplish salvation for a sinful people, a miserable death on the cross. He knew that he would have to bear the full wrath of God to pay the penalty for our sins. He knew how terrible it would be. And yet, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He was focused on his mission. Why? One of the main reasons is for you. So that by faith in him, you would no longer be defined by your sin, but you would be defined by Christ. So that you would no longer be characterized as a victim, but as a son or daughter of God. So that you would no longer be overwhelmed by a sense of guilt, but set free from all condemnation. Jesus was focused on his mission because of the deep and abiding love that he has for you. Now, Jesus and his disciples, they were up north in Galilee, and Jesus was focused on getting to Jerusalem because that's where the Old Testament had promised the Messiah would have to die for the sins of God's people. And to get from Jerusalem or to get from Galilee to Jerusalem, they would have to pass through Samaria. Um, As you can see on this map here, um, to get to 
Jerusalem, which is in Judea. You have to go through Samaria. But the Jews disliked the Samaritans so much that if they were traveling from Galilee to Judea, instead of going through Samaria, many of them, not all of them, but many of them would go around the long way, all the way through Decapolis, or actually that wouldn't get there, all the way through Decapolis and Perea just to get to Jerusalem because they didn't want to hang out with the Samaritans because they hated each other so much. There was a long history, hundreds and hundreds of years of hatred and fighting between the Jews and the Samaritans. And the main difference for their hatred was a difference in their view of worship. The Samaritan believed that the worship of God was to happen on Mount Gerizim, which is a place in Samaria. But the Jews believed in what the Old Testament said, that God was to be worshipped in Jerusalem. And so this background kind of helps us understand what's going on here. Jesus had his face set to go to Jerusalem, and not even the hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans would stop him. So Jesus sends messengers into a village in Samaria to prepare for him to stay here, stay there. But the people of that village, they did not receive him. They did not welcome him as a guest because Jesus' face was set towards Jerusalem. Now, understanding the background helps us understand that it was because of the hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans that they didn't welcome Jesus as their guest. And again, most specifically, their different views of worship. Jesus was focused on going to Jerusalem to fulfill his mission. The Samaritans would not and did not like that, and so they didn't receive Jesus as their guest. Now just think about this for a moment. They did not receive Jesus. They rejected the Savior of the world. They rejected the only one worthy of worship. Because they zealously believed that they were worshiping rightly, but they weren't, and so they rejected Jesus. This is why right worship is so important. There are Muslims all around the world, even today, right now, who are zealously seeking and desiring to worship God, but their worship is in vain. Because the most important thing is not our zeal. The most important thing is who we worship. And we worship the triune God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is why it is so important for us to focus on Jesus. And when we are focused on Jesus, it will lead into zealous worship of him. Now, when two of Jesus' disciples, James and John, they saw that this village rejected Jesus... And they said, hey, Lord, should we send fire to destroy this city? But Jesus turned and he rebuked James and John. Now, I don't think James and John were completely out of line here. There's a passage in the Old Testament from 2 Kings chapter 1 where the prophet Elijah, he sent fire down from heaven to destroy the messengers of the king of Samaria because the king of Samaria was seeking a false god. So because of false worship, fire came down from heaven to destroy the messengers of the king of Samaria. But there's something unique going on here with Jesus. There's a reversal going on here. There's a new way of things going on through Jesus. 
that although the Samaritans deserve fire to come down on them and consume them because of their false worship, Jesus shows this village kindness and patience as he rebukes James and John. Here we get a little taste of the character of Jesus. Jesus' Jesus' kindness and patience tells us a little bit about why Jesus came to earth in his first coming and why Jesus' face was set towards Jerusalem. Jesus came first as a lamb to take away the sins of the world. And his kindness and patience now is meant to lead us to repentance, as Romans 2.4 says. But in his second coming, he will come as a roaring lion, and he will send fire to come down on all false worshipers. But what's amazing is that Jesus' kindness did eventually lead to the salvation of the Samaritans. In Acts 8.14, we learn that the Samaritans received the word of God and they were welcomed into God's family. If God can save the Samaritans, this is proof that there is not a single person who is too far gone to be saved by Jesus. There is not a single person who is too sinful to be redeemed by Jesus. Are you here this morning with a burning weight of the sense of your guilt and you think that you are too bad and that there's no way that Jesus can save you? My friend, you are not too far gone. The fact that you are still alive is proof that God's kindness and his patience are meant to lead you to repentance. And so if you turn away from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, God will save you. Yes, even you. But this is also good news for those of us who may think we have a relative or a friend who is too far gone to be saved. They are not. Jesus' kindness and his patience is meant to lead them to repentance. Don't give up praying for that person. Don't give up sharing the gospel with that person. There is no one who is too far gone to be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ. Because Jesus came to this earth to save sinners. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem to save sinners. And he was only focused on his mission. What are you focused on? Focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus who was focused on his mission and focus on Jesus who calls us to follow him. So second point this morning, focus on Jesus who calls us to follow him. And this comes from verses 57 through 62. So Jesus and the disciples, they left that village and they went to another village. And as they were walking along the road, someone came up to Jesus and said, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, this passage doesn't tell us who this person is, but he must have heard of Jesus from somewhere. And you've got to appreciate his zeal and his desire to follow Jesus anywhere. Do you have a desire to follow Jesus anywhere? Jesus responded to the man, and he said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man 
has nowhere to lay his head. This is an astonishing response. Foxes and birds have a place to live. Even they, by God's goodness, have places that they can call their own. Even they have homes where they can settle down and enjoy earthly comfort. But Jesus, the Son of Man, has nowhere to lay his head. Now here we see Jesus referring to himself as the Son of Man. We've noted this a few times as as we've gone along the Gospel of Luke, but when he refers to himself as the Son of Man, he's referring to himself to be the all-authoritative king sent from God, the king who has all the authority of God. And so Jesus is proclaiming that he is this all-authoritative king, and then in the same breath, he says that he has nowhere to lay his head. Once Jesus began his earthly ministry, he hasn't had a home. He's been traveling all over the place, and he's completely dependent on the support and hospitality of others. He's completely reliant on others. But what's even more than that, the king of all things left the riches and comfort and glory of heaven and fully entered into our fallen and broken world. LeBron James, who is known as the king of basketball, he just purchased a $36.8 million mansion in Beverly Hills. It is said that his career earnings have just passed the $1 billion mark. Jesus coming to earth is infinitely worse than if LeBron gave away everything that he had bought a little tent, and moved to the middle of North Dakota in the middle of the winter. This is what it was like for Jesus to leave the glory of heaven and to come and to live in our fallen wasteland. Jesus, the Son of Man, the King of everything, gave up everything. And he made himself even lower than the birds by having no place to lay his head. And the point is that this is the great cost of following Jesus. To follow Jesus is to rely on others. To follow Jesus is to give up earthly comforts. To follow Jesus is to follow him into hard things, even suffering. Do you still have a desire to follow Jesus anywhere? What earthly comfort do you need to give up to fully follow Jesus? Now, this passage doesn't tell us how the man responded, but it continues with Jesus calling someone else to follow him. And I think this passage is kind of funny because I just imagine Jesus walking down the road and people coming up to him and Jesus, like, talking to the people on on the roadside. But Jesus calls out to another person, And he says, follow me. But the guy said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, a couple of different commentaries help me to understand that this man's father was probably already dead. And what he was asking for was to wait a whole year so that he could rebury the bones of his father because that was the family custom at that time. So this man is asking for a whole year before following Jesus. Now, it's also possible 
that if he doesn't rebury his dad's bones, that he could have to bear the disapproval of his family and the disapproval of his whole village for the rest of his life. He'd be giving up his reputation and could be breaking relationships in his family to follow Jesus. But Jesus says to him in verse 60, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, it's not a bad thing to care for your family. It's just that caring for your family must come from obedience to Jesus, not instead of obedience to Jesus. And in the case of this man, Jesus was clearly not his highest commitment. Jesus is making it clear that the call to follow him should be our ultimate authority. The call of God on our lives is absolute and immediate. There is no earthly reason to not follow Jesus immediately. As R.C. Sproul says it, Jesus was saying, if you're not the one who buries your father, don't worry. He will be buried. There are masses of people out there who are dead in sins. Let them take care of these earthly matters. I want you, and I want you now. Follow me. The call to follow Jesus demands an immediate response. It is a call to make following Jesus the highest priority in our lives, even over our family. It is a call to potentially give up our reputation and the approval of family and friends. And I've lived this. After I got saved, I had my sister said, you were my brother before you became this Christian. My best friend told me, you've taken this Jesus thing too far. The call to follow Jesus is a call to potentially give up friends and family and their approval. But on top of that, it is a call to go, as Jesus says, to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. There are masses of people here in the FM area who are dead in their sins. And God calls us to follow Jesus by being messengers to share the good news of the gospel with them. The call to follow Jesus is a call to go. It's a call to proclaim the kingdom of God. To follow Jesus is to be focused on his mission just as Jesus is focused on his mission. And to be on mission, to quote Bob Thune, is to move towards others as God has moved towards you. Who do you need to move toward this week? Now again, we don't know how this person responded. We do know that another person came up to Jesus in verse 61 and said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my house. Now this verse mimics what Charlie read earlier in in 1 Kings 19, where Elijah the prophet called Elisha to follow him while Elisha was plowing a field. And Elisha asked, Let me just go and say goodbye to my family. And Elijah told him that it was okay. In fact, he didn't just say goodbye to his family. They had a whole feast. But here we see that Jesus does not permit the man to go to say goodbye to his family. Jesus' call to follow him is more radical than that of a call to follow one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. 
There is nothing more important, there is nothing more urgent than the call to follow Jesus. And on top of this, the idea that I will follow you, Lord, but is unacceptable to Jesus. I will read your word today, Lord, but I have more important things to do. I will care for my neighbor today, but I'm tired. I will share the gospel with this person, but I'm scared how they'll respond. There is no but that is more important than following Jesus. There is nothing more important or more urgent than following the call to follow Jesus. Jesus illustrates this by responding in verse 61. He says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, typically what they would do is they would have a plow hooked up to an ox or oxen, and the person would have to have his hands on the plow directing it so that the plow could break up the soil or till the ground so that they could plant seed in the ground. And when they were doing this, it was really important that the lines that they were plowing were straight because you want to have a perfect amount of distance between each line so that your crop will grow. Now, I've plowed with oxen before, and it is extremely hard. You have to be super focused to keep a straight line. If you lose focus or if you look back while you're plowing, your line is just going to go like this. And Jesus' point is that anyone who is not solely focused on following Jesus is not fit for the kingdom of God. Anyone who is not focused on God's mission, just as Jesus was focused on his mission, is not suitable to build the kingdom of God. And there is nothing more important or urgent than building God's kingdom. There is an urgency behind this call to follow Jesus. Jesus says you don't even have time to talk to your family You can't even say goodbye to them. There is an urgency behind this call. People are dying, and they are going to hell. And Jesus is going to come back. We don't know if that's going to be today or a thousand years from now, but Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to judge the living and the dead. There is an urgency behind this call. And I hope you see that focusing on Jesus changes the way that we view things, the way that we view retirement or going to the lake or even having lunch today because we have work to do. God uses flawed and broken people to build his kingdom. He uses people like me and you. And this is an extraordinary thing. But at the same time, it will cost you everything. Have you counted up the cost of following Jesus? To follow Jesus is to rely on others. To follow Jesus is to give up earthly comforts. To follow Jesus is to follow him into hard things, even suffering. To follow Jesus demands an immediate response. It is a call to make Jesus the priority in our lives, even over our family and our friends. It is a call to potentially give up our reputation and the approval of family and friends. It is a call to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. To follow Jesus is to be focused on his mission just as he was focused on his mission. 
And to focus on Jesus is to follow him with urgency because people need to hear the gospel. The cost of following Jesus is enormous. It's your whole life. But it is worth it because Jesus is worth it. You can truly count up all that it costs and still believe that is worth it because Jesus is worth it. And he is worth it because he set his face to go to Jerusalem. My friends, he was so focused on his mission that he made it to Jerusalem. He was mocked and beaten and put up on a terrible cross. He bore the full wrath that we deserve for our sins. He died the death that we deserve. But as we know, it doesn't end there. Jesus conquered the grave. He resurrected and conquered sin, death, and Satan. And after 40 days, he did ascend into heaven. He did it. Mission accomplished. And he is now the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. He is the heir of all things. He is the radiance of the glory of God. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He has sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, and he has become much superior to even the angels. He has been given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And all peoples, nations, and languages will serve him. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed. He is the head and the rule of all authority. All things have been put under his subjection, and he is in control of all things. What else can we do but respond in worship to this amazing God? What else can we do but cry out with our whole being, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and power and honor, for you created all things. Oh, worthy are you, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Oh, blessed are you, the only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. To you alone be honor and eternal dominion. Oh, worthy are you, for from you and through you and to you are all things. To you be the glory forever. Amen? Amen. It costs everything to follow Jesus. But it is worth it. So let us run a good race determined to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. Let us keep going even when it gets uncomfortable. Let us run with urgency. Let us run as if nothing else matters. Let's run completely focused on Christ.
Let's pray. Oh, worthy are you, our Lord and our King. We praise you that you set your face to go to Jerusalem. And we have only gotten a glimpse of what you have done for us. That you've given up everything. That you didn't even have a place to lay your head. You gave up your life. You conquered death. And you ascended into heaven. Lord, where you are ruling and reigning. And yet, Lord, you are still in a body. Oh, the depths and the riches and wisdom of your love. Father, forgive us for loving the things of this world, for focusing on earthly comforts and not following you with our whole hearts. Cause us today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to focus our gaze on you. For we ask this in Jesus' name. We pray and we wait. Amen.